1 Samuel chapter 29 and 30 today. And then, of course, we'll finish up this book next week, Lord willing. But uh, what we have in chapter 29 is a very short chapter, just kind of letting us know that David is uh, with the Philistines and uh, they get ready to do battle with Israel and uh, the king of the Philistines, you know, wants David to uh, go with them. But his generals don't trust David, rightly so. And so uh, they tell David to go back to Ziklag, to, to the uh, city that they were given to live in. And so really that's all that's going on in uh, chapter uh, 29. And then that will kind of set the stage for uh, chapter 30 today. Um, last week, though, we saw, uh, saw as he went to the... Uh, Indoor, the, uh, the uh, medium of Indoor, and uh, we saw all forms of the occult, whether it be seances, tarot cards, horoscopes, palm reading, whatever, are uh, idolatrous, uh, and they are dealing with entities that lie and hate the truth. They're asking, uh, really, fate or for some entity out there. Uh, to bypass God and find out things other than uh, outside God and since they are essentially a liar and the author of liars, then you would you're setting yourself of course to listen to something that's a lie, right? Uh, besides the fact that it's idolatrous, it's going to for help with something other than God. And they often are real and not fake. In other words, we know that there is uh, some of this kind of stuff is fakery, which uh basically means you're setting yourself up to be fooled, to be lied to anyway, but uh, often they are real, and I think you can saw with uh, saw that uh, it was actually Samuel that came up, of course that was a special case, obviously, but that the familiar spirit is a demon, often it is an actual demon that disguises itself as something else, and uh, so these are the things, again, it, I'm, I hope I'm preaching but if there's any problem here, that's something you don't understand, maybe we need to get together. And so then we uh, thought about just the way Saul was coming to her to ask questions of God, not because he wanted to know God's will, but he wanted to know the future, as if it was, he was going to change it or something. If our, and then we saw that, that that's something we can do if we're not careful. If our inquiries of the Lord are to satisfy our curiosity, and not to know his will, then we are participating in something similar, right? Um, we don't want to live by faith, but we want to know things ahead of time. Uh, that's Saul uh, wanted to know who was going to win the battle the next day. He was not concerned with submitting to the will of God. That is something that Christians sometimes fall prey to. They feel like they uh, want to understand everything that's going on rather than submitting to what happens and being able to deal with it. And we'll see today what we, that there's some things that we want to bring out of that today as well on that subject. So we saw in chapter 29, or we saw a couple weeks ago that chapter 29 and 28 really are out of order. That it takes place, Saul going to this uh, medium uh, was uh, something that took place prior to chapter 28 or excuse me, 
David uh, getting sent back to Ziklag took place before Saul went to the Medians. Saul went to the Medians just before the big battle. And so the writer seems to go back and forth between David and Saul to show con- the contrast between the servant of the Lord and the religious hypocrite in this case. Maybe we're also beginning to see where the term uh, Philistine comes from with someone that said that he's a Philistine. Uh, you know, I think that basically usually means that he's just crude and unsophisticated, but certainly the Philistines were, war, were warlike, uh, perhaps a little dull. Uh, the king seemed to trust David way more than he should, uh, but his generals don't, uh, so, but they weren't off like that. But anyway, uh, while the main leader of the Philistines is completely fooled by David, uh, the other generals are well aware that David uh, could be a fifth column, and it's very possible that that's exactly what David planned on being. He agrees to go into battle, even though he's not allowed to, but he's doing that because obviously he was going to turn on them. But say, well, why would God, that seems like a good plan. Well, obviously God doesn't want David to be there. Uh, perhaps it would have been uh, bad in the sense that uh, he would have uh, shown up on the battle with the Philistines, and that would have would have lost some measure of credibility with uh, Israel. But also, Saul was God. It was God's will that Saul was going to lose the battle and die. Right. So uh, he David is uh, kind of removed from the situation, which is kind of what we would expect. So I think again, it all kind of makes sense. Um, it's good for us to be able to detect when the Lord has intervened for us in some way. I want to just take a few minutes to think about David, because as we're going to see here in, uh, in chapter 30, when, they get, when David does return to his city, they like that uh, all his family, everybody who was left behind, and every, all their possessions has been stolen, right? So we're seeing and we're having to deal with what do we do uh, in these situations, right? And it's good for us, as I said, to be able to just remember, to detect, to understand that God is always intervening for us and working in our lives behind the scenes. We aren't necessarily going to be aware of it, and that's perfectly okay. Um, so we want to be able to detect this, but not in the sense in which we forget that he is at work in our lives at every moment anyway. In other words, I think some people seem to really just want to be able to have what they call those God moments. Like God's working here. Every little thing that happens that works in their favor was a God moment. And I just think you have to be real careful about that because it, it's always a God moment. I know I've said this before, but we're going to try to go into it a little bit further here today. God is always working. Even when things don't work out your way, even when what you wanted to happen doesn't happen, it's still a God moment in that sense. And so we don't want to get self-fixated and trivial in our examination of everything as if, you know, everything in a mystical way where what's God doing here? Did God do that? Uh, Because it just, it, it starts to focus on triviality and we Forget the big picture, and I hope I can explain that as we go on. So you might say, you know, hear someone say, I prayed really hard. 
that the gas in the lawnmower would last until I got the yard finished mowing. Well, it sounds on one hand perhaps a you know, spiritual that you know, I'm praying about every little thing, but in, a, in another sense, it's a little bit like Saul wanting to know the future. Uh, in other words, I think we should be more focused on if I don't get the lawn mowed, am I, you know, is that okay? How do I handle the situation? So, because what you're kind of doing is micromanaging your day. You're, God, I want you to do this. Please do that. Well, you know, God's going to do it or not. Uh, and, and so we need to be careful here. The point is that God is always working things out for us, and it will just as many times mean that the little things won't work out as you pray, but God's still working because His will's going to get done. It doesn't really matter if we finish the yard before it rains anyway. Uh, how about we do our best, we maintain a good attitude, and we walk in the joy of the Lord, even if we don't get the yard boat. And again, that's just an example, a trivial example, but that's kind of what we're talking about here. We can get so consumed with the minutia of our lives that we make everything a big deal. You know, my nose was running... I prayed and it stopped. Hallelujah. Well, I mean, and again, maybe I'm being a little uh, trivial or, you know, maybe not the best example, but, I, you know, I see people have done this and, and perhaps we've all been guilty at that times. And it can be a substitute for living by faith and accepting God's providence. So I don't think we'll see an example of scripture where everything that happens every moment of the day is a matter of prayer. I think what I'm saying, what I hope to be saying, is that I don't think we need to make every minute detail of our day a matter of prayer because our duty is to take whatever happens and serve the Lord. Not so much asking God to do what He's he's already going to do. Think about it. I don't think we're supposed to pray that God does His will. Because God's going to do His will. And you might think, well, what if, when Jesus uh, gave the Lord's Prayer, he said, uh, did he pray, thy will be done? Well, yes, he prayed, thy will be done, but I don't think he was praying, because God's will is good at this right? I think the, what the example is setting for us, and this is my point, is that we're praying that I am on board with your will. Help me to have the right attitude. Help me to rejoice in your will. Lord, I want your will to be done, and I want to be able to be a part of that. I want to have the right attitude. I want to rejoice in. I want to be able to accept it, even when it's not perhaps what I choose for myself. So, again, we don't have to pray, Lord, help me to choose the right socks, because it doesn't matter what you choose. I want to be careful of saying anything is too little to pray about. I'm not saying that because, you know, if you're not sure and if something is a burden on your heart, whatever, pray. But again, I, I think it needs to be obviously not silly stuff if we can put it that way. But we need to focus our prayers, not so much on, again, you know, Lord, I want to do this to happen next, I want this to happen next. I want, what we need to pray is help me to focus on being faithful. Not that the Lord has answered all my little prayers, but Lord, help me 
no matter what's going on in my life, uh, no matter what happens moment to moment, to have the right attitude. See, that's the that's the prayer. That's the desire that we should have, and, and be careful about thinking that prayer is us, you know, directing the Lord because it's going to work out the way He wants it to work out. Now, I think Jesus knew that when He said, "Thy will be done on heaven as it is on earth." Um, or on earth as it is in heaven, it's going to be, but in, of course, I think that also goes into establishing the kingdom and some of the things going on there. But, but it is a prayer uh, that we can be part of that. And we are better served, I think, praying that for our motives and for our reactions than trying to direct the Lord's providence in illusion. That's really what I'm trying to say. Um, So, can we say, if I pray hard enough, my day will run smoothly? Well, no, because your days don't always run smoothly. Because if it's God's will, it's not going to run smoothly. You praying for something that you don't, you want, but you have no confidence that that's right, is not doing you any good. What we should be praying is that my heart would run smoothly, that my heart would uh, be fully on board with whatever happened. That, that's the prayer. Uh, that we need to focus on at least. And that would I think save us from a lot of frustration when we if we get caught up in this idea that I just can pray about every little thing. Well again, if you're praying that my heart is right in every little thing, great. But if you're trying to tell God, well, Lord, I, I wish you would do this, wish you do that, you know, I think you just you're, you're focusing on something that's not really your duty and it's not gonna matter. I hope I make a living in all this. Um, it is our duty to constantly acknowledge that He has been working for us in all those situations. He isn't uh, during our day usually going to work things out so that it is obvious that He is working it out because He has He has He has treated the world in such a way that we, through our intelligence and responsibility, do things. Things happen. And in the fallen world, things happen that are evil many times. Uh, so, it, but, but we need to be aware then, the important thing is that He is directly responsible. More important is that we live in joy and peace and confidence because we know He is involved in every detail. We don't need to involve ourselves in every detail in, in, in prayer. And, and again, I hope that uh, in, in the last question, to believe that in, in um, so, in God's God's ways are many times quiet, but nonetheless, they can also be surprising. And so, David might have been wondering, "What's he going to do?" Uh, as he's um, going to, is he going to go and fight with uh, the the Philistines against Israel? And that would be a matter of prayer, I think, right? Um, but the Lord. Works it out. He has his enemies, the, the generals and the Philistines, come to his rescue. And so I think again, we're that's what we're seeing here is that God's working these things out. David, in this sense, perhaps got himself in a situation he shouldn't have, but the Lord's taking care of it. And so it is these things that, to me, have the hand of God so clearly stamped upon them. Um, it was this dilemma that David should have been praying about, not whether his horse would throw a shoe. Again, it is, Lord, I want to be 
uh, on the right side. I want to be able to do the right thing here. So now this text doesn't mean, and again, so as we read the Old Testament, we see David uh, and what's going on here. It doesn't mean that if we get ourselves into a mess, as David, I think we, we saw the last couple of weeks, probably did in some bad choices here. Um, that if we get ourselves in, into a mess, that God is going to ride in and make everything okay, as he happened to do with David. Because remember, David is, is going to be king. He's in the line of Christ. Uh, David's in his situation. We know that sometimes we make a mess of our of our of things, and the Lord lets us deal with that, have to deal with that, right? And so we got to be careful that we don't look at, well, this happened for David, so it's got to happen for me. Because, no, I'm in my own situation. God's got his own will for my life. So, his will is going to be accomplished and he will easily use both our will and plans to accomplish it. And here he makes our enemies, or in this case, David's enemies, serve us, or serve him. And, and so we might say, he not only can prepare a table in the presence of our enemies, but he can use our enemies to prepare the table. That, you know, God is, can do anything that he needs to do for us, and that's what we want to remember. I was, uh, reading about a woman, a woman who was poor to the point that she really didn't have anything left to eat. And so she's praying for the Lord to, uh, take care of her, right and so, and uh, that her neighbor, one of her neighbors, was an atheist or some sort of an agnostic who didn't uh, believe in God, and he hears her praying this prayer, and he says, well, I'm going to uh, demythologize, you'll hear, hear that word, it's the idea, I'm, I'm going to take all the, the uh, mystic mystery out of all this, I'm going to buy some, couple, went and bought a couple loaves of bread, and show her that there is no God. And so he sets it on her doorstep and she sees it and he hears her thank the Lord for the bread. He runs out and says, oh, uh, it's not God didn't do that. I bought that bread. God had nothing to do with it. And she says, well, yes, the Lord is the one who answered my prayer. He just used the devil to do it. But I thought that's kind of a, a good example of the fact that God is involved and uh, that he uses me and... Uh, that was, I think, just a, a good thing to think about. So anyway, that, that kind of sets us up for chapter 30, which is the, the more important chapter, but we won't get to all of it today. But here, David's wives are captured, uh, his, his uh, family, his kids, you know, everything that he has, as well as all the other men. And they're not particularly happy about it. Uh, they're complaining. And I think... In one sense, they had a right, probably, or you can understand them being mad at David because David had gotten down there to start with. But, you know, that's really not brought out in the passage, so we won't make a big deal of that. But they're so upset with David that there's talk about killing because their families, and they didn't know whether the families were safe or dead or what. They didn't know. And so, uh, over in Amos 5.19, we read about a man who runs from a lion only to meet a bear. Runs from it only to uh, come to his house, lean on the wall, and get bit by a snake. Now, there's a context about the Lord's judgment there in Israel, but it, it I, I, well, it's kind of an interesting passage because this is kind of what's going on with David right now. He's run down to the Philistines, he's gotten problems there, 
And then it seems like perhaps the Lord has saved him from that, only to come now and all his family is gone. So it's just getting from bad to worse, right? And so, again, the point of these things is that we must be prepared for God's ways. Not that we can't say, well, David, had you prayed hard enough, this wouldn't have happened. That's the health and wealth gospel or, you know, theology. No. You know, the many are reading about Joe Osteen here at this at the last men's meeting and how that, that he's all about, you know, God wanted to be happy now. And he even said that when tragedy strikes someone in his church, he really doesn't know what to tell them. He has, I think he, he used the very words, do not, I have nothing for them. It, you know, you're just going to have to do the best you can. Because he has no theology of suffering and of the sovereignty of God that all things work together for good, right? And it's sad. But one thing about this particular trial is that it is different than the ones that we have been reading of before. David has been running from Saul as, as difficult as that has been. All of a sudden, his family is gone and he has no other they're dead or alive. And so, here in chapter 30, we read that they were greatly distressed, verse 6. They were talking about stoning him. They were bitter in soul. There was great mourning. They wept, verse 4. They, they raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. And we can understand it. You know, who wouldn't be, you know, completely at the end of themselves or something like that? But what we want to focus on the rest of our time, though, is what David does in verse 6. He strengthens himself in the Lord his God. So again, uh, it, it wasn't about, well, did I pray hard enough? Did I, did I live right? Did I have enough faith? No. Here's the situation God has put me in now. How do I get out of it? How do I deal with it? And David gives us that great example as he so often does. <clears throat> so this explains the intensity of the grief might say it's the last straw following the last straw. And often we think that we've reached the end of our endurance. We can't take any more. And yet we're, we're just reminded here, well, yeah, it might get worse. But don't worry because we can strengthen ourselves in the Lord. We're going to get to this soon in First Corinthians where it says, No temptations is set given to you that he does not also provide the way of escape. So weeping may come at night. The joy, the psalmist says, comes in the morning, but we don't know that a new grief won't come that afternoon. So we've got to be prepared. We've got to understand what's going on in our life. I want to read something that I came across that, um, just, just to kind of put, sometimes we've got to put things in perspective. There's a, a J.B. Phillips is the one who, uh, a well-known Bible translator, uh, I think he was, Responsible for one of the translations, it's not necessarily the best one. Maybe the way David's not so much a translation as a paraphrase, I'm not sure. But anyway, he is who he is. And a Christian woman once wrote to encourage him because he was going through a great deal of distress and mental distress and depression. And in the course of her letter, she described some of her own suffering. She had had what many would call a terrible, unhappy childhood. She had suffered several severe illness, illnesses, but seven years ago had been stricken after all that with polio, which left her 
um, with uh, what she called a caliper and elbow sticks. I think we would call those braces and uh, crutches, right? And familiar polio. But some sort of uh, systemic gangrene set in, which made life much more slower and more cumbersome than it already would be. Her husband, a political figure, or excuse me, a political refugee, uh, developed psychotic tendencies, took on a whole different personality, could not handle her situation, and leaves her with three kids and been with no job, although she says the Lord did provide. But again, notice, it's like when one thing happens, well, can't get any worse than that. Well, yeah, it can get worse. And it can get worse. Um, so she's left to raise with three small children. In addition, at some point, her daughter's fiancé was killed by a car. That, of course, would have been enough. But when she then she returned um, as David, and he kind of compared this to David, then she returns in Ziklag. After all this happened on, she returns, and, and it gets even worse, where her daughter... Uh, had suffered in that um, the, the fiance had died her daughter had suffered a concussion that nobody knew about it at a time where they really didn't understand some of the stuff and so she became suicidal and three times she attempts to kill herself and her mother has to put her into an institution where eventually thank the Lord she says that they did figure out what was wrong with her and she was able to recover but the, the thing, the reason I write that is it was, well, these things seemed unbearable. She writes, in all these times, she never knew God to fail. See, so she, 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 her faith is strong enough to realize what's going on and that at the end of the day, all that matters is her relationship with Christ and that God is sovereign and God loves her. God's going to take care of her and these things are going to be used in a perfect good. So David is crushed for the moment with the Lord's providence. It certainly is a time to mourn. Uh, to make matters worse, like I say, the men are ready to kill him. And so what is his only recourse? Well, he strengthens himself in the Lord. He listens to the Lord. And this is always going to be the way to overcome. Let God explain life. Not necessarily to explain the circumstances, because he's not, he's most of the time not going to. At best, it'll be after the fact that we will really understand maybe what's going on, or what good came of it. But God has explained, if we're seeing it right now, he's explaining to us life. These things happen. But we know in David's case, there's reason that's all going to come together, and so we have to assume, I think, but that's going to happen for us too. Maybe we're not, you know, we're not going to end up being king or something great like that. But it's, it's all things work together for good. <clears throat> Sometimes we need to pour our, our problems out. Well, excuse me. I want I wanted to notice tr- uh, truth that um, there's no quick fix, no religious magic that David uses when things get rough. He doesn't use the Lord as a genie in the bottle. Uh, he isn't our personal child at all. This is how David lives his life at all times. True religion is not just a way to deal with a problem. It is living life as it's meant to be lived. So this this is David being a believer. 
Lord, I'm at the end of myself. I don't know what to do. I need you to help me. We notice that his strength is in the Lord, not in his mourning, but separate from it. Again, notice, the mourning, the venting, the, the, the way there, the, the, the obvious sorrow that, that, that this is causing isn't where he gets his help. It's from the Lord. You know, sometimes, you, you, you know, pop psychology has the idea that, well, you got problems, you need to vent. Unload your problems. Scream in a pillow. Let it go emotionally. And that's that's not dealing with them scripturally as a Christian. Now, I'm not saying that sometimes we don't need to pour out our problems, and sometimes we, we need someone there to just talk to, and to to emotionally release ourselves. I don't think anything wrong with that. I guess you know, we just need to vent. Like it's a bad word necessarily, right? Just to, I need to talk about this with somebody. It, it's not to mean that we're not praying, we're not seeking the Lord's will in Scripture and so forth. It might be helpful to vent our emotions, but I'm not saying those are wrong necessarily. Sometimes we need a good cry, right? But what I'm saying is that alone is not going to solve problems. That's just help maybe helping us get through for the moment. But one thing, it doesn't bring the Lord and His Word into the mix. So it's not speaking to our thinking and to our motivation. It's just a way to deal with maybe emotion, overwhelming emotion, but at the end of the day, what we need is for God to explain to us, to teach us His way, to let me know truth so that I can rest on truth, rest on who I am, who the Lord is, uh, you know, what He has done for me, keep those things in mind, not just scream and holler and vent and cry and all those things, which again, sometimes we do those things, but that's not where our help comes from. It isn't until we listen to the Lord that we're actually going to get help. So we aren't saying to stifle our moans and tears, right? I mean, it's not, God gave us those things. It's wrong to do those things. But certainly there must be more that we can do here. I think this is where we see an example of that. We, we don't, we can't stop there because that just leaves us in depression. And the Lord doesn't send these things so that we only can become depressed and responding to it. The Lord makes sense of our tears and gives us hope in them. And so David's men are not strengthened. It doesn't say they're strengthening themselves in the Lord. They're looking for someone to blame, and so they're they're not the example that we want. They could easily, again, they, they perhaps had reason to blame David for some of this. But blaming bad parenting or social status or your spouse or whatever isn't going to do you any good. It might make you angry, but that's not strengthening yourself in the Lord. If you came from abuse of household, I, I feel very sorry for you. I, I can't think of a whole lot of things worse than that in some ways, right? But I know that there is a way to deal with that and to be strong in the Lord and to be able to rejoice always, even in the pain, right? Otherwise, what are we doing here? What's the point of knowing Christ? So David here could no longer say, my house, my land, my city, my possession, my wives. He had nothing. But he still has the Lord, and that's where he goes. 
So in verse 8, um, David inquired the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, That is, the Lord answered, and pursue, for you shall surely overtake and surely rescue. So here the Lord gives him uh, direction of what he should do. And we, we find out here that he asked for the priest and for the ephod. Remember, the ephod had two stones, and that's how in, in a day in which they did not have full revelation, they could find out the Lord's will in many cases. And that's what he does here. He seeks the presence of his covenant God, and he, he knows that he needs to listen to the Lord. The Lord has, got, has the wisdom that he needs. Um, and, of course, we're told something similar. I think Hebrews 4.14. Since then we have the great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, Son of God. And again, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. So this isn't just giving us interesting words or information. It is the words between we have and Jesus are, you have to understand that. We, it's not just that, well, we, what a friend we have in Jesus. He lifted us. Uh, Jesus knows all about my sorrow. That's all true. It is that he is a great high priest, which means that he has, he has a finished work on the cross in which our sins have been forgiven. And we now have a mediator with the Father who has been raised again so that he has passed through the heavens. He now sits in the right hand of the throne of God and rules all things. That is the Jesus that I need to go to, that I call it on for help. Not just Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago who might still be in the tomb. You know. So you, you got to understand doctrine. But we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So he also knows how to live a life that serves the Lord and not succumb to sin. So we have that same help. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace for all And so you might we might say that Jesus is Abiathar the priest. He is Yahweh. He's the ephod. He, he's that you know breastplate that has the Two stones in it, but he's, he's where we find the will of God, all wrapped up in the same person. He's all these things. That these in the Old Testament are just types and shadows of truth. Jesus is the fulfillment of all that. So we are to emulate what David's doing, but we do it in coming to Christ in prayer, in faith. And he'll give us the grace to deal with it as he's going to do with David. As we'll get to next week. So we'll see an interesting way that God's going to give him back all his possessions and family. But for the moment, we need to be able to deal with the possibility that we might not get it back. See, David doesn't know that his family's even alive, and yet he strengthened himself in the Lord. See, it's not that well. Now, he does, the Lord does tell him he's going to be able to get it back. But in the meantime, he hasn't committed suicide. He hasn't gone off the rails. We have to be able to properly view creature comforts and relationships in light of serving the Lord. As awful as this is, David had to accept it as from the Lord and not act like losing his 
family, his wife and children is all that matters. And I realize there's a sense in which we are speaking, uh, you know, uh, you know, hypothetically or theoretically. Uh, maybe none of us, have, I, I don't think any of us have ever lost a spouse or family or But David did it and got through it. He honored the Lord in it. And so we have to say, you know what? If he can do it, and he was an Old Testament saint, we got, I've got to be able to do it. If I get the news tomorrow that my wife has died, or my children have died, or I have grandchildren have died, it, all the emotions are going to be there, the sorrow, the crying, all that. But I, in my mind, I know, in my heart, I know that this is from the Lord, and I have a responsibility not to be stoic and act like it doesn't matter, not to not weep, to not be sorrowful. No, I have a responsibility to get through it in the God. And it's that difficult, but David did it, for example. He was crushed in the moment. But these things never come to truly crush us, but that we might be more than conquerors in all things. Well, these Amalekites who took David's possessions are the same ones that David has been killing in all his raids here that that we've been reading about. So, again, but the fact that they don't kill David's family just reminds us that God's got to be watching over David because you would assume that they would do the same things that David has been doing, right? But no, the Lord's in control. He doesn't... He's going to throw some curveballs to us, but not to make us flinch, but to see if we're going to stand in the box and trust him to be good. And we've got a, I've got a little bit of baseball back there. If you ever been in a batter's box, and some, somebody knows how to throw a good curveball, and that ball's coming right at your face, you've got to be able to stand in there and wait for it to get over the plate and hit it, because if you back out of the plate, it's a strike, right? And that's how we've got to be careful. The Lord sends these things so that we might make a base hit, but you know, just serve Him faithfully, not to go running. And you're never going to hit a curveball if you refuse to be hit. And some people struggle with that, but maybe we all do. We don't like to be hit with difficulty, but once we understand that it's something that we must do, that we're able to start serving the Lord. All right. Well, we'll stop there today. Any questions or comments? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your love to us this day. And Lord, we know that we are weak in the flesh, and we need Lord the power of God in our lives. But Lord, what a blessing it is to have the light of the Word of God to explain these things to us, and to know that someday we shall be situation we will never have sorrow again. It'll it'll be good. Everything will be good. Everything will be pleasant. Everything will be bliss, happiness, peaceful, joy, loving. There'll be no downtime. Lord, we're just thankful for those promises and pray that you might help us to serve you well and thankful. And to be patient with one another. We sing to us in Jesus' name.